Hi, welcome to the Product Momentum Podcast, a podcast about how to use technology to solve challenging technology problems for your organization. All right, Sean. Well, today we have a bit of a unique guest and someone I'm excited to talk to. We've got Mike Belsito from the Product Collective. Hey, Mike. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. So some of our audience might be familiar with probably what Product Collective is best known for at the moment, which is the industry conference, which we are huge advocates of. We were there in the fall and absolutely loved it and thought it was really one of the, if not the best conference we've ever been to for product management and innovation. And that's not just because you're on the interview today, but we really, (laughs) truly felt that way. We've been talking about it ever since. So if you wouldn't mind, could you just give a little background overview into Product Collective and yourself and why you started this whole thing? For sure. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. That actually means a lot, um, for sure. But yeah, so Product Collective, you know, we really look at ourselves as a community for product people. You know, so if you're a software product manager or any kind of product title, you know, we want you to feel like you have a home at Product Collective. And we do many things. You know, we have a newsletter, we have a live video Q and A chat series. And we have a really popular Slack channel where we have a few thousand product managers and other types of product people um, that communicate every day. But yes, what we're probably known best for is Industry, the Product Conference, which is something that we you know, bootstrapped and started since 2015. So this will be actually our fifth year coming up this year. Um, and it's something that every fall, you know, we put together specifically for the product community. It's a two-day conference for product people. And it's grown, you know, ever since we put it together, you know, that that first time, I think maybe we had a couple hundred people. And now we have probably have over 1200 people this year. Last year, we had folks from 37 states and 13 countries. And this year, it's everybody from Jason Freed of Basecamp, uh, Nikita Miller of Trello. Um, but even, you know, we have some folks that are speakers that you might not expect, like Common, who's, you know, a Grammy and Academy Award winning artists, um, both in film and in the hip hop world as well. So this is something that was really born out of passion. And it's something that we, you know, love that we're doing this. Um, As far as me personally, I've been involved really my whole career in early stage technology startups one way or the other, um, either as an early employee or a founder. And really what happened for me is I, I had a startup company in the past that was acquired and but it, but it wasn't one of these acquisitions where you know I was going to go live on a beach for a while. I had to find a find a job, you know, find what was going to be next for me. And I remember getting recruited by a company where they wanted me to be their director of product strategy. And first of all, by the way, I remember googling what does a director of product strategy do because I really had no idea. And I re- and as I had the conversations with them and they're trying to talk me into this role I remember saying, this sounds awesome, but I don't know if I'd be the best at it. I didn't go to school for product management. And they're like, oh, no, Mike, nobody went to school for product management. You'll be just fine. And that kind of is the impetus for product collective and industry. Because what happened is I was just trying to figure out what it meant to be a product person. I I took that job, but was just trying to kind of figure out, well, hey, what happens once they figure out I don't know what I'm doing? And so, you know, I was reading books, listening to podcasts, you know, just trying to really understand what it meant to be a product person. And I had a friend that had organized conferences in the past, and he was talking about organizing a conference. Actually, he did organize a local tech conference. And I was sharing with him others, really not too much out there specifically for me as a new product person. And he said, well, hey, you know, what if, what if we were to build something together? And so that was back in 2015. That was sort of the first edition. We both had full-time jobs at the time. But now, you know, several years later, 
this is what it's become, you know, for industry, you know, we're pretty proud that it's one of the top rated product conferences out there. And we hope that the product people that come get a lot out of it. And, and yeah, we're, we're loving what we're doing. Oh, we're fans. And certainly if you're in the product space, it's the place to be. Um, I was, <laughs> I gotta say, I didn't know what to expect last year when BJ Novak got on stage from the office. And <laughs> like, how do you relate this to a product conference, but it was spectacular. I mean, that was, uh, I got a lot out of that. So it was funny. Somebody did ask him, Hey, can you talk about the product of Jim and Pam? You know, with BJ being one of the lead writers for the office. And again, we like having at least one guest where it's kind of, you know, not what people might expect, but, um, even though it might be unexpected, people usually get at least something out of it. Awesome. Well, so you've grown the product collective to, I just looked today, last time I looked, it was like 15,000. Today, when I looked, it was like 20,000 product professionals. Yeah, it keeps growing for sure. That's amazing. It's an incredible accomplishment. Thank uh, who'd you. guess there's that many product professionals out there, right? Well, and the thing is, I would say most product people still don't even know we exist probably. So there's, it's actually way more than one might expect. The thing is, it keeps growing for sure. The whole product world. Well, and trying to discover your secrets, how did he amass such a database and such a following so quickly? Um, I stumbled across a piece that you wrote back in 2015 on customer development, referencing Mm -hmm. Steve Blank's customer development manifesto. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear from you, like, how do you do customer development in terms of the product collective? Like, it's sort of your product, right? This product collective, this uh, group of people and this conference. And this is what I want to learn about from you. So I think you're a mastermind in this context and you've done something incredible and love to learn some of your secrets. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why industry and product collective have grown is that, you know, yes, this is something for product people, um, but we consider ourselves product people. We treat the conference, we treat the community like a product. And especially the conference in particular, because, you know, really when you think of like, well, what goes into a product? Well, really it starts with some sort of unmet need that's out there. And then you're bringing something forward, a solution that has features to it and benefits that can be iterated upon. And so we look at the conferences as exactly that. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we treat it as a product. I mean, some of the things that come to mind for me, you know, we do attendee interviews and attendee surveys quite a bit. So, you know, if you were to come to industry or should say when you all came to industry, you probably remember before you even got back to the office, probably there was an email from us asking you to take a survey. And so, you know, we ask some NPS style questions there and, and we're trying to keep a gauge of things. But a part of that survey is, hey, you know, would you be open to a one-on-one interview at some point? And for anybody that responds to the survey and responds, yes, I mean, I then follow up and and try to get them to take part in an interview. So we do these attendee interviews really year round. I mean, especially right after a conference, but even mid year, not even talking about our conference, they're trying to ask about their other conference experiences and such. And, um, and it's less about, Hey, what did you like? And what did you didn't like, but more about, Hey, walk me every single step you took. And, you know, I'm trying to look for those struggling moments. And that's a term that actually that I learned firsthand from Bob Mesta. Bob is one of the co-architects of the jobs to be done framework. And he's, you know, a past speaker multiple times at industry, but really he's become a friend and he's helped us quite a bit, try to work with our attendees and, you know, try to get things from them that we can use to make the conference better. You know, he has the whole jobs to be done process and there's a formula for jobs to be done interviews. And, and Bob's walked us through that. And, and actually he's uh, done some attendee calls with us so that we could learn from him. And one example of how we've been able to launch a brand new feature because of those attendee interviews. I remember one of the interviews we did specifically with Bob and another one of our attendees 
you know, Bob kept digging in and digging in, trying to look for those struggling moments, as he calls it. And this uh, attendee had, had told us, well, yeah, you know, I loved it. You know, I thought it was great. Bob's like, okay, well, but tell us what you mean by that. And so the more he, he was talking, the more we realized, yes, he enjoyed it, but he also was feeling some level of stress. We dug in on that. Okay, well, what level of stress were you feeling? Why were you feeling that stress? Well, turns out his company sent him to our conference. You know, they paid money to put him up in a hotel, to fly him in. The, you know, our a conference registration is not free. It's all an investment when you add it all up. He's like, I feel a responsibility to show my boss and my colleagues that this wasn't just some, you know, bender in Cleveland that I'm going to. This was actually a worthwhile trip. We're actually getting value out of this. And so we dug in further. Okay, how did you try to show that value? And he talked about how he was really diligent with the notes that he took. And it got us to thinking, well, gosh, if he's feeling this level of stress and he feels compelled to take these notes, is there any way we can alleviate that stress? And so one of the things that we did, we tested it in the first European edition of industry last year in Dublin, Ireland. We hired a journalist and without telling attendees that this was going to be a feature, we kind of introduced it as like a delighter on stage in the very beginning of the conference. I said, hey, look, um, I know that this is an investment for you all. And I know that some of you might feel compelled to share what you learned. Just so you know, you're welcome to do that. But we've hired this journalist. He's taking notes for you. So you don't have to right before, you know, before you actually get home, you're going to receive a nicely put together ebook with all the notes from every one of the talks. And it, first of all, that journalist probably got a bigger ovation than any of the speakers there. And it just, you saw people start to lighten up. Like you saw shoulders relax. You saw laptops starting to close and miles on their face. So that's an example, just one example. That's an example how we used those, you know, attendee interviews, which is really just qualitative feedback, but to actually introduce a feature. And I can tell you that attendee never told us in the call hey, you, you should take notes for all attendees like me. It's not like this was something that they explicitly asked for, but that was a way that we tried to use what we learned to introduce something that we thought would be a, a great feature. I remember when you mentioned that at the fall conference about the notes being taken and the audience cheered and then a lot of woos <laughs> and then they threw their notebooks at the floor. Mike, you got to slow down a little bit. You're answering all my questions with these great answers. So, Sorry about that. I could go on all day, so don't you worry about that. So I'll, I'll focus this one a little bit more to the early years of Product Collective. How about that? Sure. So you've been doing this a while. You've been perfecting the craft and the conference and everything. And you, you wrote an article about your time at Movable about going to the mall one day. And so long story yes. short for the audience, Movable had like a wearable wristband, and it was for fitness tracking. And basically, you went to the mall... And you got a lot of feedback very quickly from people in the mall about the wristband and what was great about it, what was not great about it. But the kind of the theme I took from the article was you got feedback cheaply, if that's the word, cheaply, and quickly. And for a lot of the folks we talked to, they have to do research on a budget and or they're early on in a product, like it's maybe a startup or it's just a new initiative. So can you maybe speak to a little bit more about different ways people can do that or how you did that early on at the Product Collective before you did a survey or some of the other things that you've done? Yeah, for sure. And and that, you know, it's another example of qualitative feedback. I love all forms of, of customer feedback, but qualitative feedback, definitely, it answers the why, right? Like we could run surveys and we could see, oh, wow, we got higher scores this year. And maybe some people will share in the comments why, but with qualitative feedback, I love how it is simple to get in a way, right? It's literally, if you can access somebody, you know, have a conversation with them, know that you're starting to get some qualitative feedback. And that was the case for kind of what happened in that article, like just as you described, you know, it was a fitness tracker, a wrist-worn fitness activity tracker. And 
it was literally the week where we had to make the decision of uh, a color, right? And so, I mean, most of the decisions were made for this fitness tracker, but this is sort of one of the last things that we had to decide, you know, was it going to be this sort of nickel finish or was it going to be this black matte finish? And we're like, well, don't, don't really know. We asked people at the office and it was like 50, 50, everybody was split. And I'm like, we could just make a decision, but how do we know what's the right decision? Is it, you know, is there any way that we could make a decision where at least it's informed somehow? And you have to understand for our target market, our target market was really employees at, you know, small to mid-sized companies where their HR uh, manager was running some sort of fitness activity challenge, right? Because that's, we had software that allowed them to do that. So, you know, kind of corporate employees, right? And not necessarily the big mammoth organizations, but but more like the SMBs. And so I'm like, okay, well, how can we quickly get feedback from them? I could, I could call some customers, but then we made that decision to go to the mall. And this mall is in downtown Cleveland. Really, at this point, for anybody that knows Cleveland, it's the Galleria. Nobody really goes to this mall very much anymore, except at lunchtime. At lunchtime, it's pretty busy from the people that are working at all of the nearby uh, companies. And so what we thought was, well, you know, if we could go there at lunchtime, maybe we could, you know, get some people to at least just give us a few minutes of their time. And I remember mentioning it at the office that there were some of my colleagues are like, I don't know if you're going to get arrested, but you're going to get kicked out of the mall. I'm like, all right, well. I get kicked out of the mall. I get kicked out of the mall. I have another story to tell. There for an hour, and we were able to talk to like, I don't remember exactly how many people it was. I'd probably say it was 15, 20 people. We had 15, 20 conversations. I did not get kicked out of the mall, but I was able to leave with, you know, relatively quickly, relatively inexpensive um, feedback. And, you know, sometimes you get what you pay for. It's not like we hired some sort of, uh, you know, firm to do some sort of market research for us. But I was able to make that decision with at least some data, which is better than no data, quickly. I mean, it was like we had the idea in the morning and by the end of the day, we had this feedback with us. So I don't know. I always, being the right now, currently, you know, a bootstrap entrepreneur, founder, I I always look for, you know, what are ways that I could quickly and in an inexpensive way get feedback or, you know, get some sort of uh, insights, some sort of data that I could use and uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was fun to do it, and I'm I kind of have a story with it now. Yeah, it's very cool. I think the uh, the best way I've ever heard it summed up is quantitative tells you the what, and qualitative tells you the why. Yeah, I think that's right. Piggyback them back and forth off each other. Yeah, I mean both forms of data are great, but it's like it's better if, if you do them together. Right. Exactly. So you started to get into jobs to be done a bit, and how you use that to your advantage. Would you mind just, you know, because we have audience members uh, at all different levels, would you mind defining what jobs to be done is and what you think people hire the product collective to do for them through the jobs to be done kind of lens? Sure. And I definitely don't want to position myself as a jobs to be done expert. I'm learning just like everybody else. I'm very lucky to be able to learn directly from Bob Mesta, which I'm very grateful for. But really, you know, you could think of jobs to be done as products aren't something that just like do something. They're not just things that have features and do this thing for us. We're actually hiring them to do something for us. You know, we're hiring them to solve a problem that we have. And so the idea is how can we think about our products in that context? You know, what problems are we hiring them to solve for? What, what jobs are we hiring them to do for us? And so for industry in particular, you know, the conference that we have, 
there are actually quite a few reasons why somebody might hire industry. And, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, they're hiring industry to get smarter with what it is they do, to connect with other people, to find inspiration. And at first, that's kind of what we thought. And, And it's true. But you can say that about any conference if you really think about it. Just swap out industry with the name of any other conference. Say, well, yeah, they're coming to learn, to network, and to, you know, find inspiration. But it's like, okay, well, what industry in particular, what are they really hiring them to do? And in these attendee interviews, we started hearing like the same phrases thrown around. One of them was, I just want to figure out, am I doing this right? So it's, it's less about even like connecting with people just to build my network or have more LinkedIn connections. It's... I want to know other product people so that I can figure out like the way that I'm approaching this at work in my day to day, is this even the right thing? And, you know, and I think a lot of people have that um, kind of need or that thing that needs fulfilled because product management, as I mentioned before, this isn't something we went to school for. Like there's no undergraduate major for product management. There's, I mean, very few classes in the country that offer it. There's only now we're starting to see some graduate programs Um, specialize in product management. So that's definitely one thing that people are hiring us for is just more or less to do like a gut check on themselves. Like, am I actually, you know, doing this the right way? So as it turns out, there's a lot of other jobs that people hire us for. I mean, sometimes it's like, hey, the only reason I came is to meet people to try to recruit them to come work at my company. And, you know, there's a, a lot of different things. But, you know, as we start to learn more from our attendees, it is interesting to sort of see how specific you can get with people on why industry is fulfilling the need for them. Awesome. So to pull on that a little bit, I always like to say product development is really an art form. There's a lot of science to it, but it's also an art form. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Like any art, you have to practice. You had one interview that you did with Seth Godin a while back on your podcast. A little plug for you, rocketship.fm. Yeah, Great podcast you. for all product people. It's one, one that we all have to follow. Uh, but you interviewed him. You talked about the 10,000-hour rule and the dip. And thinking about that 10,000-hour rule... Even though in your interview, I think he kind of discounted it a little bit. It's not necessarily 10,000 hours as this hard set rule. There is a lot to this concept of practice. And it is a relatively young industry, especially in the software space. And we have to practice as product leaders certain things and get better and better at them, right? So just curious, what kinds of practices you guys deploy and what things that you feel like you're still working on, still mastering or want master in terms of product development skills, product management skills? Oh, man. I mean, really, I feel like I'll speak for myself personally, right? I'm still mastering all of them, right? Like there's not one thing where I feel like, you know, I am the top of the world on this particular skill. You know, when it comes to those attendee interviews I was talking about, I I mean, I shared with Bob, I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And He's like, you know, you are, but you know, you're not digging in enough. Like in my mind, I was looking at attendee interviews or, you know, you could just think of them as customer interviews as, all right, these are people that they're valuing their time. They, they don't have a whole lot of time. So now I'm just going to try to schedule 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And Bob really pushed me. No, you, you got to schedule at least an hour to really go deep with people. You know, you don't want to just stop when you, they answer a question of yours. You, it goes back to the five whys, um, you know, keep asking them well, why, like, what do you mean by that over and over? So we could really distill that down. I feel like I'm getting better at those types of interviews, but that's still something that we're really working on. When I think of other ways that we managed or that I managed product when I was more again managing a, a SaaS product, Things like being able to distill like analytics. I mean, it's hard for us, you know, running a conference. There's only so many things that you can look at. 
but I'm trying to get way better at that now. Like not to look at the 20,000 people that are, you know, part of product collective as one whole, but okay, how can we really segment this down? How do we get smarter about the way that we break them into personas? Are there personas that we actually don't even know about. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, only within the past year, as we started digging into you know, who it is that industry serves, we uncovered this whole persona that we knew existed, but we didn't know how strong it was um, at industry, which is product people that are at very large organizations that people wouldn't think of as software companies, but they're just realizing they are software companies. Places like McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Home Depot. I've heard it so many times now where people come up to me like, yeah, I'm here because my company just figured out like we've been a software company the entire time. So I feel like we're always learning and we're going to continue to learn. And I don't know, there's not any one area of product management I feel like I'm an expert now. I don't have to do any more learning. I'm good there. Now, I definitely need to learn a whole lot more. And so we all have to be on that path to mastery, right? We have For a sure. client who, uh, he just bought a business and we'll say it's a lifestyle business, but he's like, I didn't understand I was buying a software company. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Well, I mean, McDonald's just recently acquired a company for something like $200 million. You know, it was a technology company and so many people online were like, well, what's McDonald's getting into tech? And it's like, they've been in tech, like whether we all realize it or not, they probably actually, whether they realize it or not too, you know, they've probably been in tech for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Cool. So great answers, by the way. So going back to Seth Godin, I'm a little jealous. He's been one of my uh, business heroes since I really started. I mean, years, years and years ago, read all of his books, big fan. How the heck did you score an interview with him? Well, I can't take credit for that. So my co-founder, Michael Saka, he was one of three people that started Rocket Ship um, way back when. You know, I think we've done over 350 episodes now, and I've probably been around for the last, I don't know, 100 or so maybe. But Michael and um, there's actually two others, Matt and Joel, they started it. And I think with Seth, you know, we had a story that we were working on where some of his work was just right in line with it. And I think he just kind of reached out and caught him at a good time. I will say in my life though, I mean, this is outside of Seth, but you'd be surprised how you can catch the attention of people like that. Sometimes with a very short to the point, well-crafted, even cold email, you know, and I've gotten, I've gotten in front of a lot of people that are sort of at that same level, you know, just by reaching out, just by asking. So yeah, you never know. Cool. Well, in that interview, you guys talked about the dip. So you've also been through several startups and they've all had a dip and I'm sure the product collective had a dip as well. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? So I have, you said, a part of startups um, where it's just so hard to know, like, hey, are we at the right arc? Are we doing the things that we need to be doing? Is it going in the right direction? You know, the very first startup that I joined right out of business school, it was a company that was actually a pretty high growth startup throughout the time that I was there, but it started to plateau at the end and, um, you know, maybe even take that dip. And I left not for that reason. I, I left to start another company of my own. Actually, I'm so grateful for having that first experience that I had because it was almost like, I went to business school, but this was like startup business school. I was employee number one. When I left six years later, there's 120 employees and tens of millions of dollars in revenue. And it was starting to plateau or even take that dip. Um, I just went back a couple of weeks ago just to see friends of mine that are still there. And it's so weird for me because I was there for six years as the first employee. I was sort of always looked at as like, oh, well, if you don't know about Project XYZ, ask Mike, he's been around, you know, just sort of, even if it had nothing to do with me, that people just assumed I'd know about it. And I usually did. 
Well, now I've met so many people that are at that company that have worked at that company longer than I have, but we never crossed paths, right? Like they started after I had left. What I've also learned is that company's probably grown three times since I've been there. So really, it wasn't plateauing. It was experiencing that dip, but then hit the upward mark too. So, you know, for the company that I had right before Product Collective, we could never get out of that dip, right? Like I I wouldn't even say it was a dip. We just sort of never were able to get out of any sort of valley. We were never able to hit that upward mark. And that part's especially hard because you could be so confident about the fact that there is a problem. I think for that company in particular, it was a company called eFuneral. Like we were able to validate that a problem existed. We were just never able to validate that we had the right solution. And so after, you know, pivot after pivot, it's just, if we don't see any sort of movements at all up, um, well, and our runway just didn't allow us to go much further. With Product Collective, You know, I'll say the thing for us is we feel like we kind of found that product market fit very early. We're going to be able to grow very early. Um, What isn't as clear, though, is like, well, gosh, if even though we're growing, might we be in the dip right now? Like, what are the things that we could do to actually like 10x, you know, where product collective could be at right now or where industry could be at right now? Like it's 1,200 people. What might it take for, you know, three years for there to be 5,000 people at a conference like industry. And that, I mean, for me, I feel like, you know, going back to your question, well, how do you know if you're in the dip and like, you know, what do you do to, to get out of it? We try to sound ourselves with a lot of smart people. And so there's mentors in my life and my partners at Product Collective, like their lives too, where you know, we try to get in front of them as often as we can, even in informal ways to try to get their perspective on things. That's an example of you know, one specific thing that we're trying to do, those customer interviews. But, you know, there's others. One of our mentors, he has grown and sold a major conference book. They had thousands of people. You know, it's an annual business conference. Other mentors of ours have, you know, started and grown businesses and they've become really successful and they've exited from them. So I think it's just, we like to keep those people in our lives. And sometimes, you know, when we're with them, they're not giving us these magic answers. They're asking us questions and then we're coming up with the answers with them, which is like, that's the week we'll walk out of me. I'm like, we said that, like we said, we should do this. How come we haven't been saying that the whole time? But really it's just, they were asking us the right questions. So that's kind of how I've approached it and how we're kind of approaching things now. Awesome. So what are your key metrics? So how do you know you're being successful? And, you know, metrics are a big buzzword, a big thing in product space yeah. these days. What are you guys measuring? What are your core metrics? So looking at the conference, I mean, there's certain things like that we have in our dashboard that we are measuring uh, all the time because we have to. Things like tickets sold, um, ticket revenue, sponsorship revenue. These are things that as a business, we have to be measuring these things. And not just looking at this year, but we're trying to look at, okay, well, what was that compared to last year in 2017 and 2016? Or is our growth the same or different than what it was? But I'll say for us, one of our North Stars, or the North Star, I should say, is we want industry to be considered a world-class product conference. Like our ultimate goal is that if you were to ask any product manager throughout the country, no matter you know where they're at, hey, what's the one conference you would go to this year to get something of value for you professionally? We want their quick answer to be industry. But how do you measure if you're world-class, right? So one of the ways is NPS. And so that we don't view NPS as an end-all be-all, but it is one way of gauging are the things that we're doing resulting in how we want it to result, like are are positive things happening. NPS doesn't 
tell you exactly, well, you did this specifically and that led to that, right? So that's why we do the qualitative interviews too. I don't think NPS just standing on its own um, is going to tell you a whole lot. But because we do those other forms of feedback gathering, NPS is really useful to us because every year we're able to ask people about their experiences. And you know, now industry as a conference, it's getting really close to what's considered a world-class score. Once you get to the same level of what Apple is scoring, right? Like that's considered world-class. So for us, that is the kind of thing that we're looking at. And you know, that it's one of those things you're only, we're measuring not on a monthly basis, we're measuring right after the conference. And so it's the things that we're doing year round are trying to, you know, hope that that ends up being a positive score. So for us, it's all about like three experiences, the attendee experience, the sponsor experience, and the speaker experience. And so our rule internally is just what are the things that we can do to lift one of those without denigrating any of the others. And if we can keep doing things each year and sort of add to the conference, we feel like we can continue the upward trajectory that we have right when it comes to things like NPS. Love it. So you talk to a lot of product managers. So let's say over the next two, three years, what do you think is going to separate the best product managers from the pack? And then do you think about that when you're booking guests or you're picking what topics are going to get discussed at the conference or through the webinars? Like, how are you thinking about the evolution of the space and how you're using that, you know, for topic distinction? Yeah. I mean, on your first question, what might separate the the top product managers from the rest? I think there's a couple things at play, in my opinion. I mean, one of them is I just feel like product people have to be able to hang their hat on something. You know, there's this age old like discussion of does a product manager need to be technical? Do they not need to be technical? You know, what's the right answer? I, I don't think it's so much that they absolutely have to be technical, but I do feel like every product manager should have some sort of I don't want to use the word like secret sauce or, you know, superpower or anything like that. But I do think it's like, is there one thing that you feel like you can do that might be better than 99% of other product managers? If not, it'd be hard to sort of separate yourself from the rest of the pack. But even if it's just one thing, even if you were to say like, hey, look, when it comes to being able to uh, speak the language of designers, like I do that better than anybody else. Or when it comes to conducting qualitative interviews, I know it like nobody else, like whatever it might be. I just think product people should try to find that one thing that they love doing and that they're really, really good at and sort of leverage that. So I do think that's one thing. I also think, you know, we see how things are changing We talked before about how you have these big major organizations that people aren't thinking of as tech companies or software companies or product companies, but they really are. I mentioned Home Depots or McDonald's. I think there's a huge opportunity for product people to stand out by embracing those types of organizations. I think there's this, you know, within the product world, everybody sort of seems to be aspiring to work for a lot of these cool companies whether it's, uh, I don't know, whoever the flavor of the week is, right? But it's like, oh man, if I could be that product manager at, you know, back in the day, we were in like Google or Apple or, or what have you. But, but these major organizations, I mean, they are massive. They are at scale. You can make a huge impact working at these organizations. I just think there's a huge opportunity for product people to separate themselves who are open to trying to get their way into one of these major organizations and making a big, big difference might even, you know, have an opportunity to make a bigger difference in a place like that than one of these cool companies. And by the way, these organizations might be a whole lot bigger 
than some of those other companies. So it might even end up being like more of an opportunity from a career standpoint too. So anyway, those are just a few things that kind of come to mind. That was great. Thank you. So how many wins are the Cleveland Browns going to get this year? <laughs> I think Vegas has the over under at nine right now, which is oh. crazy. To, I mean, wow. two years ago we had zero. zero you know? yeah. <laughs> that so was just, just mean, Joe. Oh, that was just downright mean. It's crazy to me, but no, I mean, gosh, Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. And this is, this is a good, good year to be a Cleveland Browns fan. And, but you know, I do worry that we're going to start the season and now there's all these expectations, but whatever. I'm very happy with where things are at right now. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Yeah. It could be way worse though. I mean, not even two years. It was like 14 months ago. We were a team that just previously came off a zero and 16 season. It's just crazy. They need some product management skills on the, I was going to say uh, <laughs> on the, the coaching side. <laughs> Well, they were big on analytics and, you know, they had Paul D. Podesta, who was sort of the money ball guy. And well, I think Dodgers and, and Oakland A's, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and now he's still staffed at the Browns, which is kind of interesting. Well, you could say zero wins to nine wins is one heck of an improvement. So yeah, that, that's, that's a good kind of analytics. That's exactly right. We'll go with that. All right. Last question here for you. One that we ask all of our guests, um, what book are you currently reading or, and recommending to product manager friends and family? Well, the current one I'm reading right now is called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. And that's by Jason Freed. And Jason's co-founder and CEO at Basecamp. Um, he wrote the book Rework uh, in the past. And we've had him in the past at industry. And I remember we had a, him recently for a video chat. And before the video chat, he's like, yeah, so if you'd be open to it, kind of be cool if I could come back to industry. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're open to it. And so we have Jason coming back with us this fall. And actually that book will be one of two books that and I'm kind of letting this leak here because it's not something we advertise. It's usually some sort of a delighter, but it's one of two books that we'll be giving away to attendees. But that's the one I'm reading at the moment. And yeah, I'm actually, we're heading to Dublin for Industry Europe soon. And so I'm hoping to be able to finish it on the plane. It's our first exclusive. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. So is there anything that you want to plug? You want to talk about the conference that's uh, coming up in September or? Yeah. I mean, hey, for, yeah, for product people that are looking for a conference where they could find their community, we'd love if you'd check out industry. You could go to industryconference.com to learn more about it. You'll see we do do a European edition in Dublin, Ireland every spring. And then what we consider a global conference is every fall. And if you just want to join Product Collective, you know, it's free to do that. And then all that really means is you'll get a newsletter that we put together every week that we spend a good amount of time on. We do live video Q&A chats twice a month usually. And then we have the Slack channel, which is really helpful to people too. So you can just check out productcollective.com for that. But, uh, but yeah, I, if you're a product person, I think you'll enjoy both of those things. You heard of this uh, Jonathan Courtney guy? Yes. Oh, yeah, we know him. <laughs> yeah. He's, a, he's our latest guest. He just made fun of us the whole time. <laughs> just kidding. He was amazing. He was, he was hilarious. Jonathan is funny. But yeah, yeah, he'll be with us in Dublin for sure. All right. Tell him we said hi, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. We'll do that. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us All today. Right. Good luck in Ireland. And we'll hopefully see you in the fall. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we're not going to just talk to talk. We're going to walk the walk. So we would love if you go into your podcast products and leave us a review. Sean and I guarantee 
and are committed to reading absolutely every piece of feedback we get there. And not only that, but you're helping other listeners by getting that feedback in there. It helps us move up the search rankings so that other people can find the episodes. So thank you, everyone. Thank you.